Hello and uh, welcome to another edition of Irreligiosophy. Uh, I noticed in listening to some other podcasts, they usually introduce themselves, which we haven't been doing. Why would we need to introduce ourselves? The entire site is kind of dedicated to us talking. Um, Chuck Morris and this is Leighton Allred. What if they never go to the site? Well, I guess then they're never going to know that's our why, names. That's why we don't have any fans, Leighton. No, the reason why we don't have any fans is you've got the swine flu right now and you're trying to get it to me. <coughs> <laughs> All right, yes, I'm sick as a dog. I will probably die any time, maybe even during this podcast. Which I'm okay with. I can finish it without him. In fact, it'll be more interesting if he's gone. I'm going to soldier on, though, in the interest of scholarship. <laughs> All right, well, uh, well, this week we've got kind of an interesting topic, and it, it comes down to the proving the existence of Christ himself. And actually, I think a, a great opener for us is an article I found from the Times that is entitled "Prove Christ Exist Exists." Excuse me. Judge orders priest, and basically what it's about is this uh, guy by the name of Luigi Cascioli. I'm sure I'm butchering that. It's beautiful. But uh, he was he was uh, actually somebody who studied for the priesthood, but later became a complete atheist. And in fact, he wrote a book called "The Fable of Christ." Can you be a partial atheist? Uh, actually, uh, <coughs> judging from last week's uh, guest oh, podcast, I would have to say yes. That's true. <laughs> I would classify him as a partial atheist. Partial atheist, yeah. He hasn't gone completely atheist, but he's going atheist. He's becoming. He's emergent atheist. Emergent atheist. All right. All right. Well, well this uh, Signor Cascioli, or whatever he is, he wrote a book called The Fable of Christ, and... Uh, Basically, he had this uh, this guy he knew, Father Righi, who actually denounced him in a parish newsletter. And so he actually sued the guy um, concerning it, and the judge ordered this priest who had written this newsletter to prove that Christ even existed. So we're going to help the priest today by going over the evidence for the historical Jesus. Yes, although hopefully he's, there's... <clears throat> hopefully he's listening to this podcast and uh, speaks English. Quite possibly not, <laughs> considering this article was from January 2006. <laughs> Very recent here on Excellent. Excellent. All right, how I'd like to structure this is, uh, let's go over the pagan sources first. All right. Then we'll move closer and closer to Christianity. We'll, we'll go into the Jewish sources, and then we'll tackle the documents in the New Testament themselves. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan to me. You have any particular pagan source you'd like to start with? Well, uh, let's go over all of them. All right. Well, we got plenty. I mean, we've got uh, Tacitus. We've got uh, plenty to choose from. Let's uh, <clears throat> let's do it chronologically. I think Pliny's the first one. So Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger. All right. Um, he actually. What, was he the nephew of Pliny the Elder? Uh, I believe so. Hold on. He actually wrote a letter, which is where we... Uh, uh, it was actually Trajan's response, but... Yeah. Uh, Pliny, uh, Pliny the Elder actually um, <clears throat> was kind of a naturalist, um, and he was so curious that he, he was interested in the um, eruption that destroyed Pompeii, walked out of Pompeii from Mount Vesuvius. Yeah. And he was so curious, he got really close to it and ended up dying. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I've always believed, is human's nature. Uh, when you see something you don't, don't understand, you get as close to it as you possibly can. All right, so <clears throat> Pliny the Younger was, um, was he governor or procurator or something like that? Uh, One of the Roman provinces? Well, I know he was a judge. I'm not sure exactly uh, what, what he was. But uh, basically, how we come across this reference is he's writing to Trajan because he doesn't quite know what the letter of the law is where <clears throat> trying these Christians is. It had risen because I think Trajan uh, was afraid of people banding together and uh, yeah, getting into <clears throat> large having meetings and, and plotting against him and overthrowing him, right? Yeah. So that caused a bunch of problems throughout the empire because if you can't band together, then you can't really have a um, fire brigade. Or <laughs> <laughs> so he was asking, you know, about the fire brigade and to clarify some things. And I th he also asked, you know, there are a bunch of Christians who are um, meeting together before dawn uh, and they're worshiping Christ as God. Uh, what should I do with these guys? Yeah, he's asking, should I discriminate with their <clears throat> ages? Should If they repent, am I allowed to... Uh, 
to offer them just a, a reprieve from everything, or does that even matter, so on and so forth? Right, um, and keep in mind this is the year 112 of the Common Era, so this is 80 years plus after Christ died. Mm -hmm. Kind of sad that this is the earliest <coughs> real paganistic source. Yeah, in the first century it seems to have gone um, completely uh, under the radar for pagan sources. Um, yeah, my favorite was actually Trajan's response to this, and I've actually got it, I'll just quote it. You observed proper procedure, my dear Pliny, in, sif er, excuse me, in sifting the cases of those who had been denounced to you as Christians, for it is not possible to lay down any general rule to serve as a kind of fixed standard. They are not to be sought out. If they are denounced and proven guilty, they are to be punished, with this reservation that whoever denies that he is a Christian and really proves it, that is, by worshipping our gods, even though he was under suspicion in the past, shall obtain pardon through repentance. So it's really frustrating, I think, for Pliny, because he would bring these Christians in. He'd say, look, are you a Christian? They'd say, yes. He's like, are you sure you're a Christian? Because I'm going to kill you. Yes, I'm a Christian. <clears throat> um, look, all you have to do is say, I don't even care if you believe it or not. Just um, like bow down before this idol once and then go on your way. Yeah, you know, bow and, down, pray to it. Hey, but by this time, it. they've got a martyr complex. So a lot of them end up dying. But this shows that they weren't systematic in their persecutions anyway. No. This is this is the first pagan source. Occurs nearly 80. Remember, this is all, as far as the pagans are concerned, they're, they're just kind of seeing this um, pop up here and there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's this new superstition or whatever, new belief. Just they're always an infestation, skeptical. Really. Yeah. It's just an infestation which they're trying to stomp out. Because right. uh, The reason why they were trying to stomp it out, though, is because as far as they were concerned, anything that has lasted the test of time obviously is true, and this was something that was very new and very radical to them. Uh, right, so they're always skeptical of new stuff. All right, moving on, the next pagan author who mentions Jesus, or possibly mentions Jesus, is Suetonius. Have you read any Suetonius? Uh, not anything beyond what he was possibly discussing where Christ is concerned. Uh, I've read his Twelve Caesars, and uh, if Tacitus is like the New York Times or Wall Street Journal of Roman history, um, Suetonius is like Weekly World News or, or National Enquirer. <laughs> he's actually really interesting to listen to because he gets all the gossip about these emperors. Um, <clears throat> and he goes over the first 12 Caesars, starting with Julius Caesar. Uh, and he gives um, all these rumors and, and, and all this really salacious material that uh, no one else talks about. He's great. <laughs> well, you get see, a chance, read it. Oh, I'll definitely have to after this. And, and the interesting thing to remember here is Suetonius actually lived from AD 75 to 160. <laughs> so, I mean... We're talking he wasn't even born until 75 years, or excuse me, at least 45 years after Jesus was crucified. Right, so he's writing his 12 Caesars. I think it was published in the one teens, so it's really close to, to Pliny. Um, what he says is that around the year, um, I don't know, 50 or so, when he's talking about Claudius, the Jews instigated a riot um, at, at um, the hands of Crestus, yeah. which is spelled C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. Um, and they were expelled from Rome. Now, this could be a reference to Christ. Um, if it is literally a reference to Christ, then Christ not only resurrected three days after he died, but he hung out for about 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and also led a rebellion. Right. I mean, he that's was just awesome. kind of sitting around. Now, it's totally different type of Christianity. If that's the case, why is it Paul never met Christ? Yeah. Or, or it could be his followers, and, and it's not really clear. Um, I, personally, I think it's probably a riot at, you know, was instigated by a guy named Crestus. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's like having two Richards here. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. The only reason we even bring this up is because people are so desperate to find pagan sources that, um, uh, they'll, they'll include this. And yeah. I think this is probably not a Christian source. Well, see, I mean, that's the interesting thing is something that we're trying to point out here is there are so few pagan sources about something like this that it's it's really difficult to even establish that Christ actually existed. And the funny thing, I know some of you out there are going to be sitting there thinking, well, why would the pagans write about the Christians? But John the Baptist was actually very well known, and he's very well documented in pagan resources. Well, at least in Josephus. In Josephus. Was he documented right. in pagan resources? They thought so. Judea is probably a backwater community. Backwater. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they paid much attention, but... But yeah, he is documenting, he spends um, a bunch of um, paragraphs talking about John the Baptist and Josephus. Yeah. We'll get in a little bit later, but um, so that's all. Even if Suetonius is speaking about Christ, what do we have here? We have something that is at least 
65 years after the events that it narrates. He wasn't even born at this time. And it just says that there was a, um, a mob of Jews and they were expelled, uh, or Christians, I guess, and they were expelled. It doesn't tell us anything yeah. about Christ himself. Yeah, all it says is instigation of Christus. And right. yeah, someone named Christus was leading yeah. a rebellion. Very vague. And if that was Christ, there's no wonders he was crucified. <laughs> he probably got crucified a second time. Yeah. That yeah. really killed him. I mean, you really want to piss the Romans off. Let's lead a riot. <laughs> all right, so let's move on to Tacitus. <clears throat> um, he wrote about 115, I think, of the Common Era. Uh, his Annals, I think, of Rome. And in there now we actually have something we can pin down as actually giving us some information. It's very short, so we can read this one too. Um, it says, uh, Christus, from whom their name, and that's the Christians, so Christus, from whom their name is derived, was executed at the hands of the procurator Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. And then he says, you know, that the superstition that, that emerged after Jesus first appeared in Judea and then it spread to Rome. And that's it. Um, actually, uh, Tacitus is wrong in that... Uh, Pontius. Pontius Pilate was not just a procurator, he was a prefect, so he had control of military resources as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so he at least got one detail wrong. But it's useful um, telling us stuff, I guess, because of Pliny, it's stuff that we already know, that there were Christians uh, in 115 of the Common Era, and uh, they had stories about Jesus being executed by Pontius Pilate um, in um, under Tiberius. Well, however, <clears throat> I would like to point out that this is a very small group. And the reason why I say small is the only reason why Tacitus was bringing it up was because Nero burned down a city because he wanted to build up something else, and then he blamed the Christians for burning it down. Yeah, and we're not sure that's accurate either. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a speculation, but that's that was the common yeah. belief, and so Nero, or Nero rounded up a bunch of Christians, had them confess, and then they rounded up more Christians, and right. just kind of threw the blame <clears throat> on them. Right. So um, we have those three pagan sources, and remember the first one's in 112, 80 years after Jesus was crucified, and really doesn't tell us anything. All we know is stuff that we know that probably the Gospels, either the Gospels were already written and available, or these stories were circulating still orally at this time. So it doesn't really give us any more information than we already know, but this is it. In the first century after Jesus, you have uh, Pliny, Tacitus, and possibly Suetonius. That's it, total. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, I know a lot of people are going to sit down there and go, well, wait a minute, this was the first century AD. I mean, <clears throat> where would the literacy come from? Well, there 10% of the population probably at any one time was, was literate. Jesus uh, was able to read. Obviously. We don't know if he was able to write. Those were two separate skills in, in ancient um, antiquity, I guess is what I'd call it. <clears throat> My brain's a little... Fuzzy right now, muddled, given uh, well, the 104 temperature. Swine flu. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll stick him in a bathtub of ice later. Perfect. Um, so there are not many people, but what this tells me is uh, that the Gospels, as they're written, could not possibly have occurred. Yeah. If Jesus was feeding 5,000 people, if he was resurrecting people from the dead, if massive crowds of people followed him, if there were palm fronds thrown in front of him and his triumphal If he was overturning entry, things in the temple, <clears throat> I mean, really, he would be right. he would be a rabble rouser, a complete troublemaker. Then you would have heard something about it from some source uh, in the in the pagan world. Um, now we do have a source in the non-pagan world, a Jewish source, and this is a historian who was perfectly primed to talk about Jesus because he was born, what, five or six years after Jesus was crucified? Uh -huh. He was born in Galilee. Yep. He later became a general uh, in Galilee and, and, and led a revolt against Rome. This guy was in the area that Jesus preached in the generation right after him. Yeah, and this is the one who actually brought <clears throat> up John the Baptist a lot. Yeah, who, who better, who's also in Galilee, right? Yeah. Um, who better to... Uh, Discuss this great man, Jesus, right, exactly. who was actually there and who fed 5,000, so on and so forth. However, even a, his he, passage was just limited. He's a historian. He's interested in collecting stories. Stories about Jesus ought to be running rampant through Galilee like wildfire at this time. Yeah, I mean, the dude walked through there, fed 5,000, raised the dead, healed people, and Josephus just barely mentions him. So what we have in Josephus are two possible mentions of Jesus. 
this the second source, the one that's later, is twenty point nine point one. Yeah, so it's volume twenty nine, page one. I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, <laughs> it yeah, mentions. Very thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It mentions just briefly that um, he's talking about a priest. They dragged James in front of uh, the Sanhedrin, so they brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James, and some others. And that's it for that reference. Quite a quite a bit of information there. Right. Um, I'm skeptical. This, this one actually seems to be. Uh, accepted by scholars uh, almost universally. There, there's a consensus that this one is accurate. I'm not sure how you can tell this is accurate because it could... Um, it, does it back up anything in the Bible that we know of? No. no. And not only that, <laughs> but I mean, as we discussed previously, there could be other Christs out there. It, or he could have said James and Jesus, which are very common names. Yeah. James, this guy named James was dragged in front of the Sanhedrin. Um, his brother was Jesus. And then, you know, either that or who was called Christ could have been um, inserted in later. We have no idea. Yeah. We don't have that original manuscript. And see, that's actually something that has been proven is that in a lot of these manuscripts, there have been insertions at a later point. Right. You've got to think about who's copying Josephus. The Jews? Nah. Josephus was seen as a traitor to the Jews because he switched sides instead of um, killing himself at the end yeah. of the war. That was actually a very interesting little story there. Yeah. Him and uh, one guy are left, and he turns he, to the other guy and says, hey, let's not kill ourselves. They're surrounded. They're going to give up. He says to his men, okay, draw lots. And they all drew lots, and, and they killed themselves up until him and another guy. They're the last two. And he says, uh, let's not do it. Let's just, yeah. I'd <laughs> let's rather just not kill myself. And yeah. then, very smart, he says to Vespasian, um, I've had a revelation from God, and you're going to be um, an emperor very soon. Yeah. And it turns out after like three successive emperors, Vespasian brought his troops into Rome, became emperor. Yeah. Um, so he didn't forget that, and he gave uh, Josephus a house and a stipend, and that's when he started working on this Jewish stuff. But keep in mind also, every time Josephus mentions a Messiah, it's in a, a negative light. Why? Because he's writing this for Roman authorities. He's right next to the emperor. If he mentions the Messiah and he says, I believe this guy's the Messiah, first of all, he, he wouldn't have been a Jew, he would have been a Christian. Second of yeah. all, um, he, would have said, he would have been executed probably for yeah. publishing that. That's exactly. treason. I mean, especially if you do not, I mean, this is Rome we're talking about here. You do not put anybody above Rome's authority. Right. Um, so basically what he's saying is there's a legitimate king of the Jews uh, in, in Judea, basically. Yeah. Um, this one, I think, is more accepted because he says who was called Christ and not because he says Jesus who was, who Christ. was Christ. So that one may or may not be authentic. It's funny that he mentions tons of other false messiahs. There's the Egyptian. There are guys that brought up to the river, so they're going to you know, uh, have this big miracle. They're going to part the waters. They were um, slaughtered by Roman troops. He spends a lot of time on other messiahs. If this is a true reference, uh, three words on Jesus? Four? <laughs> All right, and yet again, I'd like to point out that I mean, there's there's so little documentation on Jesus himself that it, it really wouldn't even surprise me if this was an insertion. Right. So, so what we have here are um, Christians who are copying this, not because they love Josephus, but because he mentions John the Baptist, um, maybe James, and this sort of thing. So the Christians are doing this. The, the Jews didn't copy this at all. It was all Christians, and we all know Christians insert stuff in there. Yeah. All right, let's go to the big one, which is the Testimonium Flaviana. Let's read this because it's, it's pretty important. Um, this was published in the year 93, so this is the first century. Uh, now, there was a, about this time, Jesus, uh, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that, lived, uh, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. Uh, so <clears throat> here we have Testimonium Flavianum, which um, people point to regularly as evidence that uh, Jesus was a big figure, and even Josephus uh, mentioned him, and said he was the Christ. And my problem with this is Josephus was a Pharisaic Jew to the day he died, living yeah. under a Roman emperor's good graces, I mean, if and he publishing would, this. If he would have published something <clears throat> like this, he's living in the Roman emperor. Just like we said, he would have been killed. 
Right. I mean, literally. <coughs> I think the consensus on the testimony in Flavianum is that at best it is a partial interpolation. Possibly, they say, people, uh, well-meaning or well-intended Christians, inserted some stuff in there. Maybe, maybe in this passage he said stuff that, you know, about this time there's a wise man named Jesus who some called the Messiah. He was... Um, executed, said to have rise again on the third day, and, you know, he's got a tribe of Christians named after his name. <clears throat> so they take all the, the confessional aspects out of it, and they say, well, this is probably what's in there. And I say, why? If partial, uh, if that's partial interpolation, if, again, which obviously, at least parts of that are wrong, why would you not just toss the whole thing out? And there are a couple reasons, I think, that are very strong arguments for tossing the entire thing out. And what might those be? One is, if you take the paragraph above and the paragraph below, uh, and you read them without the testimonium, they flow completely uh, together. Seriously. <clears throat> Remember, he says, um, there are lots of wonderful things, and all the divine prophets talked about Jesus and the tribe of Christians, blah, blah, blah. And then the next line is, and then another calamity occurred. He's <laughs> like, what the? He just confessed <laughs> the Christ. How is that a calamity? But there was a calamity in the paragraph above it. So if you take the paragraph out, it flows right in there. That, to me, says it wasn't in the book. Yeah. It was not in the book. Second, the first time we see this is with Eusebius, who was a church father who, um, I believe, was in the 4th century. Um, this is the first time we get... Now, remember, remember Celsus, who's talking about, yeah. you know, they're arguing back and forth. Christians, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, uh, Irenaeus, um, Origen, all these guys are arguing against pagans. It would have been very nice to have this passage there in the 2nd century. Very much so. Say, hey, look, Josephus did this. Nobody says it. All the way up until the 4th century in Eusebius. Yeah. And see, my biggest problem with this entire passage is if Josephus was such a believer, and this occurred later on, why is it in the first mention of Christ it's so simplistic? And yet in this one, he goes on and on and on about it. It seems yeah. like a blatant <clears throat> insertion. It's Again, it's, it's giving away the entire... This is exact. What a coincidence that we find exactly within Josephus what a Christian would like. Yeah, he was crucified, um, and at that time rose, rose they, the third day. they hated the Jews, right? So at the behest of the principal men among us, and Josephus is a Jew, so the, so behest of the Jews, it, Christ was crucified. He rose again the third day, did a bunch of miracles. This is exactly what they want. Yeah. What a coincidence they find it. Very much so. I mean, how would you <clears throat> in that day and age? love better than to see proof. Oh, wow, look at this, someone bringing it forward. And there's, I mean, as we've said before, there's obvious insertions, there's even just blatant lies that went uh, around with some of the gospels. Eusebius is guilty of that as well. Um, he fabricated a letter from a king of a town to Jesus saying, oh, you created wonderful miracles, you, you've raised the dead, you've healed a bunch of people, I was wondering if you'd come over to my city and heal me because I've heard that the Jews are out to get you. Jesus writes back and he says, oh, that's great, um, I, I'd be happy, and you know, blessed are you who believe in me who have not seen me. Um, <laughs> keep in mind that this is before the Gospels have been written, right? It's while Jesus is still alive. Um, and we don't know at all about the Jews conspiring. It's just horrible. So yeah. he has a track record of making this stuff up. But when he first mentions this, he gives a different location than where we see it now. He says, after giving this account of John, so John the Baptist, yeah. in the same part of the work, Josephus goes on to speak as follows of our Savior, and then the testimonium. Well, the testimonium actually is before. In our manuscript that we have right now, testimonium occurs before he talks about John the Baptist. Yet again, more proof again, to me that it's got to be just a you, blatant fact. You put all of this stuff together, um, the fact that Origen mentions the um, James brother of Jesus who was called Christ, and Origen says that Josephus didn't believe that uh, Jesus was the Christ. You put all that together with everything else, the fact that it's not seen until the 4th century, the fact that Eusebius is known for making this stuff up, it's, the language seems Eusebian, um, it, it, it is uh, stuck in a place where it really doesn't seem like it belongs. There is Between two calamities? Well, why not yeah. talk about Christ? And then another calamity calamities. occurred, just like the calamity of Christ. Um, <laughs> I, I would say that this, to me, there's no doubt this is a fabrication. Yeah. Out of whole cloth is a fabrication. Well, see, my point behind this is this isn't really <coughs> scholars who need to prove this, because obviously it seems a complete fabrication 
I think it's the believers who need to prove this. So yep. why not find something that backs this? I, I've never found a good reason for accepting the testimonium, even that's been stripped out of all of the um, confessional, Christological um, stuff. Uh, I've never found a good reason for accepting it as genuine. Do you think Origen would have just not read that part? He was he was familiar with the antiquities. Of course, I mean he knew he the smaller part. He that. didn't know the bigger one. Uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Um, so so that's it. In the first century after Christ died, because um, the you know the first century A.D. you've got zero pagan sources yeah. up from zero to one hundred. So if you go hundred years after Christ died up to hundred thirty, you get three pagan sources tops, and then possibly one. Um, Reference from Josephus. At best, one. That just says he was called Christ. Yeah. <clears throat> Not impressive for someone who um, changed the course of Western civilization and became the dominant religion over the next 2,000 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense to me that you have a man walking on water and Josephus in that town didn't even hear the rumors of it, really. Yeah, clear, clearly. And there, again, there was another, um, I think his name was Justice. He was a historian and um, Josephus uh, hated him, didn't like him at all. Uh, and uh, there's nothing in Justice uh, that mentions Jesus as well. And Justice also grew up in Galilee. Yeah, I remember so, reading about that a little bit. <coughs> right. Again, zip, zero, nada, nothing. You got, uh, you know, clearly, Jesus did not make an impact in his own day. I mean, at best, I figure if Jesus did exist, at best, he maybe had a small group of followers and... Uh, I think he he did exist, and I did do think he was crucified. That I do quit think giving quit giving up the all right. You're 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 fast forwarding. We haven't got all to right, that part yet. Right. We'll, we'll get there. <clears throat> all right, continue. Where are we going next? All powerful Charlie. Now we're going into the uh, New Testament itself. New ah, Testament. Document. All right. So we need to be talking about uh, the Gospels. Well, let's talk about Paul first. Oh, Paul. Well, there's a good let's, one to start at because Paul's Paul's the earliest we got. Right. He was probably writing in the fifties. Um, Paul's an interesting source because uh, he's only writing 20 years after Jesus was supposedly crucified. He is our earliest source of all. Yeah. <clears throat> so we can tell a lot from this because you haven't had a whole lot of time. Well, 20 years is a lot of time to play telephone. But you haven't had as much time as, say, the Gospels, another 20 years. Um, or another um, even 20 years after that for John. Yeah. So... This is our first um, actual information uh, that, that's the closest to the time that we have. Now, interestingly enough, we say Paul is the earliest uh, writer about Jesus. And there's a guy by the name of uh, John E. Remsburg who wrote uh, a work on the Christ. And uh, he basically compiled 42 writers who lived and wrote during the time or within a century after the time of Christ. And not one of them mentioned Christ. Right. We we actually, we should have discussed this in the pagan section, but the first century is one of the best documented centuries we have in antiquity. We have writings of tons of poets, natural philosophers, um, <clears throat> legal writings. We have um, tons and tons and tons of pagan writings. Uh, we don't have as many Jewish writings because the temple was destroyed in the year <laughs> 70. And then again, I think in the 130s. Which the uh, temple is Judea something was, we'll come back to. Judea was destroyed. So, <clears throat> Jerusalem anyway, um, defeated. So, uh, But our, our documentation of Caesar Augustus and, and um, the first century, uh, very, very thorough. And once but again, no mention of Jesus. Once again, I'd like to point out, Jesus, if he made quite the ruckus as he did... Why is it there's no mention of it? Yeah, I, I think it's clear evidence that the Gospels, that the history didn't really occur as the Gospels related, <clears throat> if there were any doubt about that. Yeah. All right, so we're talking about Paul. Yeah. Um, Paul, uh, our earliest writer, writing in the 50s, uh, gives very few details about Jesus. His story is that he um, was on his road to Damascus. He was persecuting Christians as a Pharisaic Jew. And he had a conversion experience. Um, it differs uh, if you read it in Acts versus his own uh, writings. Yeah, as to what he does after the experience. Uh, and even the experience itself, you know, was there a loud voice? Did everyone hear it? Did just Paul hear it? Um, uh, did he go straight to Jerusalem? Did he, did did he? he wait three years? Um, but he had this conversion experience, so this vision of Jesus. He didn't know Jesus when he was alive but apparently had this sort of visionary experience of Jesus and was converted to Christianity. 
So he writes a bunch of these letters. What he does is he goes and he's like a leather worker. So he sets up shop in a, in a city. Uh, and he, he was pretty much Gentile only. He didn't really <clears throat> um, mess around a lot with the Jews himself. He, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. So he'd set himself up in a community. He'd sell leather goods. He would proselytize while these people are milling around uh, and, and uh, trying to buy his goods. And, uh, he'd tell them about Jesus and the good news and blah, blah, blah. And eventually enough people converted that he would pull up stake and go to the next town. So he did this in Colossus. He did it in Corinth. He did it in uh, Ephesus, uh, Thessalonica. When, when he was traveling, he'd get letters from these groups saying, uh, we're having problems. <laughs> how, do we, <laughs> how do we solve these? Because... Uh, there wasn't a um, hierarchy in Paul's day. In Paul's churches, they were just uh, they they were baptized, and when they were baptized, they got gifts of the Spirit. They could speak in tongues, they could interpret tongues, they could prophesy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And no one was at the head of the congregation. They just get together, they'd have meals together, and you know, talk about Jesus. Well, I mean, Paul really didn't set up anything that was meant to be permanent. I mean, it was he right? He thought that the end times would happen before he died. Yeah. Like everyone else after Paul. And everyone else that's still in this day and age believing in Christianity. Yeah, it's amazing and... to me that 2,000 years later they can say that stuff with a straight face. But <laughs> um, So we have a, a out of the 27 books in the New Testament, I think 13 are written by Paul. But of those, there are a bunch of questions. Um, Second Thessalonians is, is under dispute. The so-called Deuteropauline epistles, there's a question whether he authored them or not, going back and forth. Uh, the scholarly consensus is on three epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, that uh, those are clear forgeries. Why? Because they assume a hierarchical structure, bishops, deacons, elders, um, that didn't exist in Paul's time. So clearly they were written in the second century. Yeah, which uh, the second century is actually when they started organizing. <laughs> they started reading through all of the different gospels that were out there, the Gnostic gospels, so on and so forth. Sure. and deciding exactly what this religion was going to be about. Sure. It's kind of interesting that um, <clears throat> if the Gospels were written against scholarly consensus in Paul's time, or if Paul had access to them, he shows absolutely no knowledge of the Gospels. Uh, it, it would have made a lot of his letters very easy. He spends pages and pages talking about you know, can we eat meat that was sacrificed to a pagan god? Whereas <laughs> he could have just quoted Jesus saying, it is not what goes into your mouth, but out of it that defiles you, right? But no, he argues and argues. And if he had bishops, he could have just said, hey, this is a letter to the bishop, not to the yeah. Galatians. Why are you Straighten them out. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> what does Paul know about Jesus? Very, very little, in fact. Uh, no miracles whatsoever are No mentioned. miracles. No virgin birth, uh, which is significant because Paul and Mark, the two earliest accounts, do not mention the virgin birth. What does that tell you about it? Well, Mark, you think that'd be important detail? Well, I would think so, but uh, Mark also doesn't have all the uh, most of the miracles. He's mixing or missing a lot of the miracles. It's interesting in in Mark anyway that Jesus does miracles and tells people to keep quiet about it. Right? Yeah. His messiahship in Mark is a secret, as opposed to um, John, where he says specifically, "I do these miracles so that you might believe in me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please take a look. Take a look. Uh, so Paul says about Jesus. Jesus was born of a woman. Surprise, surprise. If he would have been born of a man, I would have been a little <laughs> bit more That would have been interested. a true miracle. Yeah. Ooh, I'd feel bad for that man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Paul, for letting us know that Jesus was born of a woman. Um, Jesus had brothers, one of whom was named James. Uh, he had a last meal uh, <clears throat> with his uh, apostles. He was betrayed by one of his um, disciples. He was executed, and um, he, he was resurrected. Yep. I believe that is all we have from Paul about Jesus. None of the miracles, none of the teachings. Oh, there are two teachings. Uh, don't get a divorce and pay your ministers. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds, uh, sounds good to me, uh, especially when you're figuring that uh, the world is going to end. Right, yeah. That's a lot about Paul. You know, He's like... Um, you're a slave now? Well, don't worry about it. The world's going to end soon. Don't try to change your status. If you're single, stay single. The world's going to end soon. If you're married, stay married. So that's Paul, uh, essentially, in a nutshell. And it's interesting that Paul, I think, preaches a different gospel than the one that we f are most familiar with. Well, Paul's is a bit misogynistic. 
Well, maybe. Um, <clears throat> one of those letters that's really misogynistic, um, I think it's either Timothy or Titus, wasn't by Paul. <laughs> so he may have gotten that uh, reputation undeservedly. Just undeserved? Yeah. Well, possible, possible. So, so, so that's pretty much Paul. Um, Paul thought that you could uh, be saved just by accepting the fact that Jesus died for your sins and, and was brought back and he's your Lord. So you just confess and believe in it and you're saved, basically. You'll go into heaven. Um, he said, you know, naturally, you know, you'll be good after you accept this. But the big thing isn't works. It's the fact that you've accepted Jesus. Um, <clears throat> but there's a passage, I think, in Matthew where Jesus says to a bunch of the people, he's the son of man now and he's judging people. And he says, um, all right, um, sheep's to the right and goats to the left. <laughs> all the sheep come sit by my right hand and come into the kingdom of God. You were the people who clothed me when I was naked, visited me when I was in prison, fed me when I was hungry. And they said, what? We've never met you before. We don't even know who you are. And he said, when you've done this to the least of these people, anyway, you've, you've done, done it unto me. me. Interestingly enough, that contradicts with Paul because these people aren't even Christians. They have no idea who Jesus is, but they've just done good works. And that is a criteria that Jesus sets for getting into heaven. Now, it's possible that Paul, as an earlier source, is more accurate. However, I'm not sure that later Christians would have said, hey, even if you're not a Christian, come in, join come the kingdom. In. Yeah, because, so uh, well, even today, that isn't something. That... Right, you don't say, you need to convert, right? You need to pay your 10%, yeah. come to you church. You need to be baptized, need to believe. you need to convert. I mean, <coughs> who cares about the good works? So that's, that's um, I'd probably put more emphasis on that. And I wish... They would put more emphasis not on belief in Paul and dogma, but on good works. Yeah, on you the know, actual parables, that, that sort of thing. Right. Well, some parables. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. <coughs> well, now, interestingly enough, before we continue on with the Gospels, uh, there, there is uh, one bit of fascinating uh, uh, truth out there that I discovered in, in the research for this podcast, and that is that in the early depictions of, uh, of Christ, the symbol of Christianity, it wasn't a man nailed to a cross. It was actually a sheep or a lamb nailed to a cross, and that was the symbol of early Christianity. I mean... I thought it was a fish. Well, that, that's Darwin. <laughs> so nail the fish to the cross. Well, well possibly. But, I mean, it's just it's very fascinating. And every once in a while, this lamb would have the, the head of a man, something like that. It's like an Egyptian god. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah except it's kind of backwards because then they have human <laughs> yeah, bodies. Animals, yeah. Head. Yeah, yeah, nice. Thanks for the parallel. Well, anyway, it wasn't until Pope Hadrian I in the 8th century, if I'm not mistaken, that he actually said, you know what? We need a man up there on the cross. This is our new symbol from here on out. And it's interesting because a lot of people who don't believe that Christ actually existed look on this as um, they were believing that the Lamb of God was out there somewhere and that Christ was just kind of developed around this concept <laughs> of, oh, wait, we need a man up there, not a sheep. Huh. Um, I'm not sure I buy that. I don't really buy it either, but uh, it was very interesting to read about. I think a better explanation, assuming that's true, I've never heard of it before. Assuming that's true, a better explanation would be the people's favorite gospel typically is John. It's the one where he says, I am the bread, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He speaks in long speeches instead of short parables and witty sayings. Yeah, people um, can understand <clears throat> it a little bit. Yeah, better. he's kind of the most accessible in John. And in John, John's the only gospel that mentions Jesus, refers to him as the Lamb of God. So the, clearly, if, if this symbol was widespread, it's because of the gospel of John referring to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Yeah. Honestly, I agree with you, plus, but I found it very interesting. Plus, the, the um, depictions that we have, Jesus up on the cross in a diaper, no. He would have been <laughs> naked. He would have been nude. Yep. Uh, <laughs> why waste a diaper? The Romans <laughs> were very efficient. They crucified, even females were crucified nude. Yeah, well, uh, so much for early porn. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. They're so modest. They put a little diaper on Jesus. Yeah. Oh, we can't be showing that <clears throat> to little Romans walking by. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's move on to the Gospels. And uh, I, I'm almost losing my voice here. So why don't you take it over a little bit? 
little old me. Or no, talk, talk can, away. Can you actually trust me with something like no. this? No, obviously not. Well, <laughs> but I'm, I have no choice. Uh, forgive Charlie. <laughs> I, I believe the hand of God is pushing me forward to be the, the headliner. It's here. keeping me down. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I mean, as we've discussed before, um, the earliest gospel is Mark in and of itself. And there are huge contradictions between the gospels themselves. I mean, uh, you have uh, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. And... Uh, do you know why they're called the Synoptic Gospels? I have the foggiest idea. I was actually <laughs> looking for that. <coughs> they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they share a common theme. It's called the Mark and Spine. So um, it took scholars a while to figure out that Matthew and Luke came after Mark. In the original church, they thought that Matthew came first. That's why it's the first book in our New Testament. And they thought Mark was just a, an abridgment of Matthew for people with short attention spans, like the Reader's Digest version of it. Yeah. Um, well, it turns out that both Matthew and Luke have stories that are exactly verbatim from Mark. And when they depart from the stories in Mark, when they change things, they change them differently. So clearly Mark was the first one. But the, the reason is that the Synoptic Gospels, you can take all the events in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you can put them in three parallel columns, and you can see the event in Matthew, the event in Mark, the event in Luke. So synopsis um, means same site. You can just see those same events and see uh, what changed and what stayed the same. That's why they're called the Synoptic Gospels. And Carry the on. relevance behind that is now shot down as he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Are you all right, dude? You're I'm all right. right. All right. Well, interestingly you enough. A, you have a bucket I could vomit in? Uh, I could take off my shoe. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. So what we have here is Mark was written about the year 70, roughly. Luke about 110. So, do you know who Mark was? <laughs> do I know who Mark yes. was? Yes. Uh, I've asked as many people I know about this question. No one yet has got it right. Who, who was Mark? Actually, I have no idea who See? Mark was. I know he wasn't the apostle that everybody was saying he was, right. and I have a, a Typically, vague that's the that's the answer I get. No, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were apostles. No. Wrong. <clears throat> Only two were apostles. Matthew, the tax collector, and John the beloved, right? Yeah. So that leaves Mark and Luke. Who are these guys? Mark, by tradition, was supposedly the secretary of Peter, a Peter scribe who followed him around oh, writing down a bunch before. of lectures. Yeah. Um, and that's who they ascribe it to. But the book itself never says I was written by Mark. And none of these gospels do, actually. Um, Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. And so when they're doing these ascriptions, you have none of these ascriptions before the end of the second century. But then they got into doctrinal wars, and so they wanted to start forming a canon. They just wanted this gospel, and I wanted to argue out of this gospel. So they started attributing it either to apostles or very close to apostles. Anyway, that's who Mark was. And uh, <clears throat> it astounds me that I, I got, and I didn't know that until I listened to Bart Ehrman's stuff, right? That's probably where I heard it, because that, yeah. that's how I knew it wasn't the uh, was an apostle. apostle. Is I've, I've heard it before, but I couldn't remember the exact. So I got into my fourth decade, the middle 30s without having any idea who this Mark was. I just assumed he was an apostle. Well, as does everybody. But, of course, that's what the early church was after. I mean, they were right. really wanting us to. Right. So, anyway, um, you kind of screwed me up. Where were we? <laughs> you were saying the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. No, I was, back, I was beyond that. I was giving the dates that they were roughly written. Oh, all right. And I can't remember which ones that we were. Thanks very much. All right. So, Mark... <laughs> <laughs> so our first gospel, and it was written um, in the year probably 65 or 70. Yeah. I would put it closer to 70 because it does reference the destruction of the Temple of uh, Jerusalem, which yeah. occurred in 70. And that was actually something, as I said before, we would get back to that. That's <laughs> how they're referencing this as the earliest gospel. And interestingly enough, so we've had uh, oral tradition for 40 years. The question is, why would someone write down a gospel? The answer may be that it was the destruction of Jerusalem, that spurred this on. That uh, you, we now no longer have a center of um, Jewish authority. Now we need to start writing stuff down um, so we have a written record to preserve it, uh, these traditions. Well, very much so. And, and the interesting thing is, is um, these Gospels, they weren't written in Aramaic. They were written in Greek. And how do we know that? I have no idea. <laughs> 
<laughs> Your research was thorough. Hey, thanks very much. You were supposed to be tossing in on this too. Sorry. <laughs> we know that because when they quote the Bible, they quote the Septuagint. Oh, wait. Okay. Which was... Um, yeah, I remember reading about uh, that. It was commissioned by Ptolemy, one of the Ptolemies anyway. And he got seven, it's called the Septuagint because he got 70 Hebrew scholars and they translated it into Greek. And so when they reference the, um, the Bible, when they, when they reference like Micah or Deuteronomy or, or, or these Old Testament verses, they reference the Septuagint. So we know that the um, <clears throat> Bible, the, the New Testament is written in Greek. Also, very telling is in, um, shoot, is it in Matthew or John where, uh, it's in John, when Christ is, is arguing with Nicodemus. And he says, you need to be born again. Yeah. And Nicodemus says, what do you mean? I need to crawl back, crawl into, back into my womb? mother's womb and yeah. be born again? He said, no, you need to be born like from above, from the spirit. Now, the Greek term onothane can mean from above or again or a second time. That pun totally falls flat in English. It, <laughs> it, if you read it in Greek, you can see why Nicodemus is confused. Because the, the Greek term means three different things. Right. It yeah. means a second time or, or again or from above. And, and Jesus meant from above, but Nicodemus, you know, it's kind of funny in Greek. But that pun also doesn't work in Aramaic. So you know that gospel was not written in Aramaic or in Greek. Okay. Well, smarty pants. <clears throat> uh, how many generations did Matthew say that uh, Jesus was born be uh, after Abraham? And how many generations did Luke say? Uh, one of them was seven and the other one was 14. Um I can't remember which one. Really? Because my sources were saying Matthew said it was 41 generations from Abraham, and Luke was saying 56. Oh, you break it into sevens, I think, um, with, with one of them. It's like uh, 14 generations to uh, David, and then like another 14 to... Um, uh, there's some other big event. Oh, the, the Babylonian captivity, and then I think uh, another 14 into Jesus' time, 14 from Adam to... <clears throat> so, yeah, so that who was the 56? Uh, the 56 was Luke. Was Luke, yeah. But the, the reason is because of the, the... And then, but the genealogies are different. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's what I'm getting into now, is we have the Gospels here. They were all supposedly taken from Christ, and they were all written about Christ, and every time someone reads these, they gloss over the fact there are differences. Take for the fact... Um, when was Jesus born? Because in Matthew, it says he was born when Herod was king of Judea. Luke says he was born when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Quirinius. Quirinius. Yeah, I've never been good at these names. And you love to rub that I love it. I love it. Yeah, and the problem is Herod died in 4 BC. Exactly. So that's the commonly, for me anyway, that's what I've heard. Jesus was born in 4 BC. And they put that because it's the farthest one out. And the closest to Quirinius, who assumed uh, his uh, station in 6 AD. Yeah. Uh, so there's a 10-year gap. And I love it that Christ was born four years before Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, he's just got to do it. You... I'm all right. <laughs> You're going to be hacking. All right. Uh, now, uh, interestingly enough... Well, Matthew... wait. On the genealogies, too. Oh, all right. Those genealogies go through... Now, remember, Matthew and Luke have the nativity scenes. Both genealogies go through Joseph. Well, that doesn't matter because Joseph didn't contribute any genes to Jesus. No, that's a, actually a very good point here. Um, God came down, he impregnated yes. her, and we're still wondering when God's going to pay child support. <laughs> they should have done their genealogies through Mary. It doesn't matter if Joseph was a descendant of David because Joseph didn't contribute any genetic material to Jesus. Now you hear... Oh, well, in Matthew, it was through Joseph, and in Luke, they were through Mary. That's why the genealogy, no. Both of them specifically say they're through Joseph. <laughs> and they both say the virgin birth. So it doesn't make any sense. Yep, yep. And yet, <clears throat> uh, what gospel don't we get the virgin birth in? Oh, yeah, Mark, Mark. the earliest. And John, the latest. There's no virgin birth in John. Very good. Very good point. Uh, um, now, curiously enough, how long did uh, Jesus' ministry actually occur? It depends on which gospels you read. The synoptics? The synoptics One is about year. a year. John's gospel, three years. Yeah, because he goes through multiple Passovers. <clears throat> um, and, and so typically people say, well, the synoptics just left out some details. The ministry <laughs> lasted three years. 
Um, so Jesus was like 33 when he died, and he ended up being crucified in 29 or 30 of the common era. Yeah. Um, that's how they reconcile that stuff. But yeah, um, if you read them just on their own, there's a discrepancy of one in three years. Did you hit the um, where Jesus, what day he was crucified on? No, no, I hadn't come <clears> across <throat> that. Again, it depends on which gospel you read. Um, in the synoptics, he was crucified the day after um, Passover. Oh, so, yeah, I remember reading that from a while ago when I was making the comparisons. Yeah, he was uh, crucified around 9 o'clock in the morning. So he goes, he has the Last Supper, he has the Passover feast, he says, this is my body, you know, which blah, yeah, blah, is my it, blood, et cetera, et cetera. Blood, drink it, <clears throat> cannibalize me. He goes to the garden, he gets arrested, he gets put before the Sanhedrin, he gets put before Pontius Pilate and is crucified in the morning. In John, Jesus um, was crucified the day of the preparation of Passover at noon. He does have a meal, but he doesn't break the bread and say, this is my body and this is my blood. I think he washes their feet or something. Yeah, um, yeah he does. <clears throat> and then um, he gets crucified. He, you know, he goes through Pontius Pilate, et cetera, et cetera. He gets crucified very specifically at noon when the lambs for Passover are being sacrificed. Yep, and there we get the sim similarity, in which, again, is probably yep. one of the things that contributed to the lamb being right. nailed to the cross. So clearly, he's making a theological point, Jesus is the lamb of God. Um, but in the synoptics, Jesus lived through that whole day. He was crucified the next morning, uh, not in John. That, I think, you cannot reconcile. You can't bring those together. He either was crucified the day after Passover or the day of Passover. <clears throat> Now, interestingly enough, I'm going to read you a passage, actually, uh, from one of the articles I was reading. Um, I'll have the link up on the side, but it says, Matthew declares that he was born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of a prophecy in the book of Micah. But the prophecy of Micah has nothing whatever to do with Jesus. It prophesies the coming of a military leader, not a divine teacher. Matthew's application of this prophecy to Christ strengthens the suspicion that his gospel is not history, but romance. Oh, sure. Um, what what happens when you think that your guy is the Messiah, um, but he doesn't appear to the Messiah as described in the Old Testament, right? <laughs> you go through and you get a bunch of stuff, um, like Isaiah doesn't mention a Messiah. Yeah. He mentions a suffering righteous man. Oh, we'll just combine yeah, that, and that'll be the Messiah. Just toss that right in together. Um, <clears throat> the um, Micah reference is important because he says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. But we have a problem because clearly everyone knows that Jesus was uh, of Nazareth. So Matthew and Luke get there from different areas. They have them both born in Bethlehem. But in Matthew, Bethlehem's his hometown. Yep. In Luke, he's there because of the census of Quirinius. And that's actually where I was going next yeah. with this. Is in Luke, he talks about the censor. Now... There is no censor in history that actually co corresponds with this. And interestingly enough, the censor wouldn't have had everybody shipping off, especially with a pregnant woman, to go and get the censor right. taken. On the face of this, the census is ridiculous. Would you, if they say, okay, we're not going to count you in your town right now. What we're going to do is we're going to count you in the town of your ancestors a thousand years back. Where would you go? I have no freaking idea. Yeah. It, who existed, my ancestors in the year 1000? I have no clue. Uh, I'd be in Europe somewhere. Not a clue. <laughs> I'd have to consult some of my family members who have done extensive genealogy work. Um, yeah. But they don't have that back then. It's all oral, right? Yep. It, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it, just, it doesn't make any sense at all. It makes no sense at all. And, and, and you're right. We have zero records in one of the best documented uh, centuries Eras. of all antiquity. We have zero records of a of an empire wide census that caused this amount of disruption. You think someone would have complained or written something about? It. Yeah, especially the someone <laughs> who's bragging his pregnant wife, ready to burst yeah. across just to get this taken it's, care. It's it's a ridiculous, ridiculous story. And ridiculous yet, story. the reason why is Jesus the Christ was get him supposed to, Bethlehem. to be in Bethlehem. Yeah, in in Luke, his hometown was Nazareth. Um, in uh, Matthew, I think they go to Egypt, they come back to Bethlehem, but they can't stay because Herod uh, is, a, like the son of Herod is taken control and he's angry and he might kill Jesus. So then they go to Nazareth. Yeah. So it's totally different. And again, how do you reconcile this stuff? So are they <clears throat> disinterested histories of Jesus? Are these four gospels disinterested histories? Are they literal truths where they're just recording what actually happened? Or are they told, um, as they say, this is written so that ye might believe, as they themselves say. 
They have an agenda. They have a religious agenda. So how much can we trust? Well, scholars have come up with criteria to winnow away some of the stuff. One of it is multiple attestations. So if these are independent sources, Q, for example, which um, Matthew and Mark, <clears throat> or Matthew and Luke tell stories that aren't found in Mark, but they're the same stories. Mm -hmm. So they think that came from a separate source, probably a sayings gospel called Q, which is German, like Covell, German for source. Yeah. Pretty original. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so there, if it's um, attested in Q, if it's attested then in Mark, uh, and John, those are independent sources. You can't say, well, if it's tested in, in Q and Matthew and Luke, if they got that story from Q, that's only one That's only testimony. one testimony. Yeah, exactly. So if it's multiply attested, then you can feel better, at least, that that story is probably older than some of the new stuff. Like Mark doesn't have the virgin birth, right? Yeah. So the virgin birth is only found in the later stuff. Maybe that's a new tradition. Maybe they made it up. So that's uh, it's multiply attested in... in Matthew and Luke, but not in, in some in Paul, for example, or you know. So anyway, I for me, I discount that. So independent attestation is one. The criterion of dissimilarity, and here I'm following Bart Ehrman's criteria, um, which I mean, both you and good. me and Charlie, as you can tell, we are big fans of Bart Ehrman. We love his scholarly research into this. Yeah, I um, disagree with him on Josephus. I think he's way too easy on Josephus. And there are a bunch of other things that that I'm questioning about, but. I think by and large he's um he's a really good scholar and and not probably the most rigorous thinker. Um he comes up with some problems, but certainly not as sloppy as say the guy who wrote uh Angels and Demons, Dan Brown. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's an unfair geez. comparison because Brown isn't a scholar, but Yeah. Um Yeah, that was some as a pathetic piece of fiction. As a little digression, I almost burst out laughing when uh he has this the, the guy, the main character of the story in Angels and Demons talking to his class about how a lot of the elements of Christianity were borrowed from pagan sources. I'm like, all right, I can get all on right, this that's good. Right? That's, that's <clears throat> great, great. He says, for example, um, the idea that uh, of eating your, your god uh, was borrowed from the Incas and the Mayans. And I'm like, uh, what? No. <laughs> all right. Uh, Egypt, thank you very much. So, so you're telling me wait, that wait, Christians wait. sailed across the Atlantic Landed in, took a historical survey of the religious practices of Incas and Mayans, and then sailed, sailed back, back, and brought this in there, and didn't tell anybody about the New World. That it waited till you know 1492. Yeah, to and it absolutely astonishes me that everybody loves this book out there, and this doesn't even. I almost had to stop reading. It was the most ridiculous piece of garbage. And this this guy was set up as a scholar for this stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that's a digression. <laughs> a little digression. <laughs> Criterion of dissimilarity. Um, at first, it seems not to make sense, but if you think about it, um, it does. If you're, say, brought in to testify against a good friend, and you testify that he actually did commit the murder, that testimony is valuable because it's against your interests, right? Yeah. You typically wouldn't do that. And I know exactly where you're going with this, where Jesus is concerned. This, um, if we're going to give uh, the whole thing away like you already did 20 minutes ago, this is why I believe Jesus actually existed. Um, this criterion alone. <clears throat> um, I didn't give it all away. So just shut up. <laughs> you shot your what? Um, <laughs> well, I am last of the Minutemen. Thank you very much. <laughs> so if you apply this to the um, Gospels, uh, Paul himself, I believe, said the biggest stumbling block to... Um, to Christianity moving forward. To converting, yeah, the yeah. Jews, for example, was that Christ was crucified. And uh, in, in the Old Testament, they have um, saying that he who's hanged up on a tree is cursed. Um, and it's just like saying, well, Charles Manson, for example, Uncle Charlie, put in jail. Um, he he really is a prophet. Or uh, David Koresh, uh, who got blown up. Um, you know, he he ran afoul of the government, got blown up in Waco, Texas. But guess what? He's really a prophet. You know, it's hard to take that stuff seriously. So if they say it. And it's a stumbling block to converting yeah. people. It's a little bit contrary to what you would be saying about yep. a divine figure. Such they as probably this. didn't make that up. They probably didn't make up that he was baptized by John because early in the first century, um, early Christianity thought that the person who baptized had more authority yeah, and more was power spiritually than, superior yeah. than the person who got baptized. And, and that's why I think you see these early apologetics. John saying, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Yeah. Probably didn't happen. Um, Jesus probably ended up learning from John. He probably spent a bunch of time with John learning, you know, apocalyptic message and, and et cetera, et cetera, and then went out preaching. 
Yep. Uh, I doubt, seriously doubt that, um, <clears throat> certainly you don't have the Annunciation or even the Virgin Birth, really, where they say, hey, by the way, um, you're going to have the Son of God uh, born to you. Because in Mark, you have, in the middle of, he's preaching, and uh Mary, his mother, and a bunch of his brothers come over and they want to haul Jesus away because they think he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that probably actually happened, right? Yeah. And if that happened, that. there's no way there was a virgin birth. There's no way that an angel came down and told Mary. Because, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if Mary gave birth as she a virgin, uh, oh, <laughs> God came down and impregnated me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop my boy from going out there right. and being crazy. So there are a bunch of stuff in Jesus mythology that I don't think people would have made. If they're sitting down to make up a religion or co-opt a religion and polish it up, they they probably would not have made up a, a suffering Messiah. Um, it was unknown before Christianity. And still, a major stumbling block for Jews. This wasn't what the Messiah was supposed to be like. He was supposed to be a figure of grandeur, right? Say nothing of the Son of Man. He was supposed to, according to Daniel, ride on clouds in judgment. This wasn't Jesus. He was a preacher. Yep, and that's exactly how they're viewed. And there's a thousand years and more of apologetics of people in modern Christianity trying to account for all of this. Yeah. The third criteria and the final one is contextual credibility, which is... If it doesn't sound like it happened in the first century, it probably didn't happen in the first century. Remember, Jesus is an itinerant, apocalyptic preacher. Uh, he was thoroughly Jewish. His followers were thoroughly Jewish. If you find stuff that Jesus is saying that doesn't fit inside that context, he probably didn't say it. Um, and you have a lot of this stuff where people are talking about apostles. And, and for example, um, I find it really hard to believe that <clears throat> any of the apostles wrote in this. Maybe they, maybe they found a scribe and paid the scribe, but... Can you imagine them, you know, like Mark um, or John or Matthew may have been literate because he was a tax collector, possibly. Possibly, but he's um, more mathematical in numbers. Right. Yeah. Luke, probably, since he was a physician. Can you imagine Peter, for example, who's an illiterate? Uh, it says in Acts, he's illiterate. Can you imagine him saying, uh, all right, I'm going to stop preaching for a while. This, I think, was in Jesus Interrupted, this line of reason. <laughs> I'm going to stop preaching for a while. <clears throat> go to school, learn a foreign language, learn Greek. I'm going to learn it so well that I can write uh, a narrative uh, in it, and then I'm going to come back and continue preaching. <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all. That makes sense to me. I mean, what's yep. wrong with you? You never educated yourself? Yeah, they've got all the time in the world in, in ancient, um, what do you call it, Judea or hmm. uh, Israel? Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> no Somewhere over in that desert area. <clears throat> I'm kind of astounded that Jesus knew how to read. That's very unusual for kind of a backwater um, well, I mean, that's, Galilean. That must be one of his miracles. I mean, he was a carpenter's son after all. So what, yeah, what right. the hell does he need to know about reading for? Yeah, the fact that he was from Nazareth, I think, probably also was true because there were no uh, prophecies about anyone coming from Nazareth. <laughs> Hence the problem for, for uh, Matthew uh, and Luke. Bethlehem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I don't think that the Gospels are particularly reliable as a source of historical information. They need to be read with a critical eye. Um, you need to use these criteria to kind of sift out the stuff. And I think the more you read these things as synoptics, the more you read one event in Mark and then read that event in Matthew and the, that event in Luke, the more these discrepancies pop up. Yeah. Well, as my father always liked to point out, they were all telling the same story, but they would add different aspects. Yeah, it's like the uh, elephant, <clears throat> right? That yeah. um, The blind men, one thought it was a snake, the other thought it was a tree trunk and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, they're all true. It's just a different part of the elephant. Of course. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the apostles were all blind and, and like to feel like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, we both went two different ways on that. Yeah, feeling of Jesus. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Well, I often like to feel of Jesus, but that's only when I'm in the church. So there we go. Uh, my opinion did Jesus exist? My personal opinion, yeah, there probably was a um, wandering um, Jewish apocalyptic preacher in the first century. But I really believe that the the um, <clears throat> message that he preached uh, is not the message of current Christianity. No, no, it's the message of the world is ending, everybody <coughs> run for the hills. Oh, I did want to say one of the things that I thought Bart Ehrman was a little sloppy on is that the criterion of, say, contextual credibility, for example, yeah. is able to rule things out. But just because it's contextually credible, it's not able to you rule can't automatically in. rule things in. Yeah. 
So it's good for winnowing things out. Now the same thing for the criterion of dissimilarity, which he really likes. The criterion of dissimilarity rules things in, but it doesn't really rule things out. If it's, if, in other words, if you use the criterion of dissimilarity, if things were um, similar to um, what Christians would like to say to other people, then you, you, you would have to come up with a church <laughs> that is totally 180 degrees different from what Jesus preached. You can't allow any um, thing that, that might work for the Christians to be in there. So really, all you can do is say, well, it passes that criterion of dissimilarity, therefore, I think it's more likely to be true. But you cannot use the criterion of dissimilarity to do the reverse. It, it is similar. This gives Jesus, like, for example, the resurrection, which you can excuse on other grounds. <laughs> but the resurrection, you can't automatically discount on terms of dissimilarity. Say, well, well, that's a you know that's what Christians would say. So therefore, it, you can yeah. throw it out. Yeah, I think he's a little sloppy in that reasoning. It's very good for excluding stuff, not very good for, or very good for ruling stuff in, not very good for excluding stuff. Yeah, so Bart Ehrman, if you're out there listening to this, we both know that uh, you were attempted to be on the the Nick and Josh podcast. Uh, Nick being our last guest speaker. So when you come on here, don't worry. We'll, we'll uh, like to uh, reprimand you for that. I would like to pin you down on some of this stuff. I know he's a PhD and he'll run in circles around. Oh me, yeah, but your head. <clears throat> I want to set his feet to the fire on some of this stuff. I want to get uh, Josephus. I want to see why he's so. Why? Um, why does he like? Josephus? I don't know because I've noticed that as well. Why does he go so easy on that stuff? What? What? What's your motive for accepting that? And maybe he knows a bunch of stuff that we don't. Yeah, well, I, I mean, suppose it's possible. We're being introduced to stuff every day. He's the one that's actually reading this in the actual language. <laughs> There's so. a small chance that he knows a little bit more about this stuff. Than I, I wouldn't think so. No, no. We're, we're both quite bright. Yeah. And I'm sure he's listening to this podcast right now with rapt attention. Uh, he's I'm, probably uh, going a couple of dipshits. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, All right. A couple of dipshits signing off. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my God.